Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picture House podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. And on this mini episode, this mid-month, we are joined by filmmaker Peyton Reed, the director of Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and now Ant-Man and the Wasp, colon, Quantum Mania, the third in the Ant-Man series. And uh, and yeah, I don't know if it's the third and final. I, I, let's, let's see. <laughs> let's see. We didn't get into that in our interview. Peyton Reed was in town because the film was having its UK, European world premiere not sure it was a flavor of premiere and uh and yeah we managed to grab some time with Peyton just before uh he went on the red carpet so a lovely lovely chat um I've Peyton's been on the podcast before for the first Ant-Man way back when I don't know what year that would be maybe 2015 and uh and yeah he's always nice to chat to always nice to chat to very engaged filmmaker so so yeah so Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is in cinemas right now don't want to say too much about the film, or do I will say, please stay until the very end. There are two post-credit stings, including one at the very end of the credits, after all of the music and the special thanks, and this film was shot in this area, uh, sort of stuff, and all the studio logos. So stay for the very end um, for a little surprise, if uh, if that's something you'd like to do. And yeah, without further ado, let's hand over to me and Peyton Reed talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantum Mania, one of my favourite film titles in quite some time. You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. But you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hello, Peyton Reed. Welcome to the Pitch House Podcast. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're recording this in London. Um, and I think some of the film was shot in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, all of our uh, principal photography was shot out at, uh, at Pinewood, which for me was, was a dream because, you know, growing up and being a huge film fan... There's such rich history there. Obviously, the Bond films, and for me, uh, Richard Donner's Superman the movie, you know, from 1978 was shot there. And, and uh, that was one of the first things we did was just sort of tour around Pinewood and look at all the, the stuff, you know, and, oh, there's where the chase from Goldfinger was and all this stuff. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a delight. But, yeah, we shot principal photography, I think it was something like 80 days all wow. at, at Pinewood, yeah. That's cool. Did you get a chance whilst you're doing that? Do you, do you get a chance to see the rest of the UK? Or are you very much in Pinewood? Um. <laughs> well, when we were, you know, prepping and shooting, uh, it was pretty full on the movie. You know, obviously it was a, it's, it's a big, big movie. So, yeah, most of the time was out there. When we started post-production and we were editing, we were uh, here in Soho, which was oh, wow. great, like right here in Soho. So that was that was really, really fun. And of course, I've spent time in, in England before. I, I love it here. Oh, nice. Oh, it's always, always good to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice, it's a very nice uh, change from Los Angeles. And I like the weather. I know people think it's insane, like, but I like, I, I like the gray skies and clouds. Yeah, just, just like we got today. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. 
this I was just sort of looking through the dates of the previous Ant-Man films and, and I didn't realise it was actually quite a long gap between Ant-Man and the Wasp and, and this one obviously you know there were some few global events and yeah, a couple there of other f- movies there were a few things between. happening in the <laughs> world <laughs> yeah uh, but what was it like I guess when you sort of okay Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is a thing yeah, we're going back into this what was it like for you to sort of go back into the MCU and, and, and sort of get reacquainted uh, with the Ant-Man world we were really excited, you know, we we got to make a third in the series, right? We got to do a trilogy, which, you know, as, as someone in my generation, we I grew up with these great trilogies, Star Wars, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones at the time, you know, and, and uh, so it was great. And also because we had set things up in both movies, but particularly the second movie that we really wanted to pay off in terms of the quantum realm and Janet Van Dyne's time in the quantum realm. And then the thing we really inherited from Avengers Endgame, which was this five-year gap scott who's who's uh whose main sort of drive in life is to be a good father to his daughter and he's always losing time with her throughout all three movies and now he's lost another five years so in the in our movie in quantumania cassie's now 18 and that struck us as a really fertile ground dramatically right to, to mm-hmm. progress those characters but um we got really excited obviously and just started formulating what the story was going to be and and obviously this desire if we were going to do a third one to really mix it up and you know, create something that was more epic, but also really, you know, took our characters down into the quantum realm, an entirely different background for the movie. And we really had a desire to, just when you kind of thought maybe Scott and Hope could relax a little bit after the events of Endgame, to throw something uh, even more formidable at them and to take these characters who had been kind of, uh, you know, uh, on uh, in the margins of the MCU early on and mm-hmm. put them front and center and make them, the, you know, in an unlikely way, the first two Avengers that Kang the Conqueror encounters. Absolutely. The um, I, what I loved about the film is you. There's sort of no, there's no fat. You know, there's like no waiting around for the story to get going. You are in it right yeah. away. I think we're in the quantum realm within sort of ten minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you were sort of working on the script, you got a new writer on this film as well, Jeff Loveness. You know, what was what was important for you to sort of get across? I think we wanted to sort of announce right up front. You know, there's there's a prologue that doesn't deal with Scott and Hope immediately. It's you, We're immediately, bang, where are we? We're in the quantum realm, and it's a flashback to an earlier time in Janet Van Dyne's life that <clears throat> that teases the coming of this character, Kang. And I think you're right. I think it's probably around 12 minutes in that we get thrust into the quantum realm, and it was obviously very deliberate. We wanted to, you know, quickly sort of get the audience up to speed about what's going on with Scott and, and Hope and uh, Cassie and Hank and Janet, and then immediately thrust them down into this uh, alien uh landscape and environment and and have them have to figure out things from there and we wanted it to really sort of be turbocharged the movie throws a lot at the audience very quickly and and all at once there's a lot going on it's a very visually dense movie and we introduce a lot of new characters in the movie but that was something that excited us because we we didn't want to repeat what we had done in the first two I think it's really refreshing, you know, like the Ant-Man films, they always, you know, San Francisco is such a big part, and in this, yeah. we see the backdrop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we see, like, scenes we've never seen, and, like, not just in the MCU, but, you know, this, it, it's like going into space, you know, this feels like the cast of a Star Wars or a Star Trek film, you know, there's yeah. lots of great creatures and great design. Yeah. What was that process like, deciding the look of the quantum realm? That process was fun because, you know, again, <clears throat> I grew up reading all sorts of, you know, not only comic books, but science fiction and, and um, watching science fiction movies and TVs. And I really like this was a chance to do something that felt like in the Marvel Comics context, a logical progression, you know, as Marvel Comics, really that 
renaissance of that uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby really led in the early 60s. You know, you had these sort of street levels, very grounded adventures. But then you had that other side of Marvel that was very influenced by, you know, pulp fiction before that, you know, like uh, very hard science fiction concepts and things like that. And then, of course, in the 60s, late 60s and 70s got, you know, kind of psychedelic. <laughs> and I really wanted to, you know, jump headlong into that side of of the Marvel world. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before. So that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. I just loved how it wasn't, you know, it, it, there was there were so many things. It wasn't just so you know, one creature in the quantum realm. There's a whole civilization. Everybody yeah. looks a little bit different. And, yeah. And lots of prosthetics and puppets and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it was important to, to, you know, create a quantum realm that felt very uh, vast and with lots of different looks to the uh, the landscapes and lots of different creatures and humanoid creatures. And, you know, sort of uh, it had its footing in the comics in the microverse. Mm -hmm. But then really we had to very quickly tell the story that there's it's teeming with life. And but there's also some, you know, uh, Kang is subjugating all these creatures and certain ones of them who have survived Kang's wrath banded together as these freedom fighters. So we really had to have a lot of different aesthetics with when, within one overall aesthetic, right? There's some characters that feel like Gentura, for example, seems like she comes out of a Robert E. Howard sword and <laughs> sorcery thing. And, you know, there's some characters that would be right at home in a, an old 60s Hanna-Barbera cartoon or in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or something. Like, all of that stuff uh, had a place in this movie. Yeah, I was definitely getting like yeah that sort of classic British sci-fi Hitchhiker's Guide, Doctor Who, absolutely uh, a bit as well. Which yeah, is, uh, yeah, as a sci-fi nerd, I was I was I was really yeah. enjoying the detail. <laughs> no, and I you know listen, I uh, I worship Douglas Adams. I miss Douglas Adams. I I, uh, I am a fan of all of the Hitchhiker's books and, and the radio show and the books, you know, and the TV show. Mm. But the uh, and Doctor Who, I grew up in the Tom Baker era <laughs> of Doctor Who, and have enjoyed every Doctor Who ever since. But yeah, embracing those sort of harder science fiction concepts but also the absurdity and the um you know there is a again with doctor who there, there is sort of a uh, there's just a general levity to the thing too right there's a whimsy to it that i like i think that comes across as well like the film you introduce a new villain it's very scary great yes. performance from jonathan majors but also it's it's fun you know there's lots of like colorful characters uh, along the way and, and there's sort of gags you know just at the right moment when when the stakes are quite high and the balance is, is, is you know that, yeah, that must be quite it's a fine thing to get right. So. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, again, the Ant-Man movies have established a tone. Mm. I think they're generally considered, you know, sort of lighter and more comedic and probably they're, they're about family, right? Mm. They're about this generational family of superheroes and also that father-daughter dynamic, two father-daughter dynamics, right? Mm, Hank and course, Hope yeah. and, and Scott and, and Cassie. So... You know, we didn't want to abandon that. That's a crucial part of Ant-Man, but we wanted to sort of expand the palette and have them still working out these uh, these family dynamics, but in a very strange sort of fish-out-of-water uh, context. But, yeah, we were also introducing in this uh, Phase 5 a very formidable villain, one of the all-time, you know, great Marvel Comics villains, Kang the Conqueror. And I love the idea of the juxtaposition of... 
Jonathan Majors, Kang the Conqueror, who is a very formidable, very uh, chilling character, and putting that very different energy up against Scott Lang's, mm. you know, more happy-go-lucky energy. That seemed, you know, dramatically interesting to me. I've called the other Avengers. You're an Avenger. Have I killed you before? <laughs> what? They all blow together after a while. You're not the one with the hammer. That's Thor. We get confused a lot. Similar body types. Who are you? It's really like the two performers, uh, just the two actors are so different in many different ways, you know, stature um, and yeah, yeah. typical styles. But they, they do work really well together. And, you know, there's a point in the film where they're, you know, they're, they're having a conversation, you know, and he's very you know, tempting to try and come and work with, with him. And, and uh, just those like those two handers between Paul Rudd and Jonathan Majors, it was so much fun to watch and drink it in. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that, you know, really right in the middle of the movie, <coughs> the movie slows down and sort of lets you just sort of experience that relationship. We've we've drum rolled the coming of Kang the Conqueror, you know, for the first half of the movie. And we've just come off hearing uh, Janet Van Dyne's backstory with him. And then here he walks in to confront Ant-Man and Cassie for the first time. So you know everything you need to know about him. But then he presents a very different version of Scott, a very, you know, kind of seemingly <clears throat> friendly. But we know he's a, an extremely manipulative <laughs> character, right? Yeah, he's sort of like, yeah, could be like a gentle giant, but there's, there's something going on. But it's, it's just yeah. a really interesting performance from Jonathan Majors. And, uh, you know, this film, what's nice about it is, like, he's not just introduced in the third act. You know, he's, he's in the whole film. So we really get to know this character by the time he's face to face with Scott. Yeah, and that was important to us. Like, how do we, you know, the, the villains in these movies are obviously very important. Thanos casts a very long shadow, right? And mm. we wanted to make Kang something altogether different. Kang is just a man, but he's a man with uh, access to, I think in the comics it's always described as 31st century technology, but high technology and he has dominion over time and he can travel the multiverse but he's hobbled in this movie right he's been exiled and is trapped in the quantum realm and trying to get out but it gave us a chance to create a backstory for both Kang and Janet and show the story of basically two people marooned on an island working at a common purpose to get out and then she finds out his true nature and, and obviously feels betrayed but Kang also feels betrayed we also like the idea of like what would it do for you if you didn't live time in a linear fashion? You lived in these sort of time loops. And, you know, it's implied when he talks about having fought the Avengers before and maybe many, many times he can't keep it straight. What does connection with another being mean in that context? What's the point of having a connection if you just kind of keep going? We like the idea that maybe that connection between Kang and Janet in this movie is the closest he's ever come to another person. Like, you know, this almost, almost this sort of unrequited thing, right? Uh, we, we like the idea of... Kang being, um, as a result of all these lives and, and maybe multiple traumas, kind of a, a bit of a broken man, like a, a man out of time, and and there's something a little bit broken about him. Yeah, he sort of lost all of his toys and his gear and all of his allies. You know, it's just to yeah. see them so raw at the beginning. And also it means that we get, you know, a lot of Michelle Pfeiffer in this film. Absolutely. Uh, and it's so nice to see her, you know, in, in, a, in a big role again. You know, it does part of me thinking like, OK, we've got Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. You know, I'm back in the 90s. Um, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. They have got they've got a lot to do in this. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think that for me is one of the cool things about the Ant-Man movies is that we are telling this generational story. And, you know, in the comics, of course, Hank and Janet are these legacy heroes, original member of the Avengers. And Janet, in fact, in the comics named the Avengers, the Avengers. 
And I, I really wanted to do right by them in this movie, and I do. I also like the idea that we have Michelle Pfeiffer front and center for a lot of the movie as an action hero, mm. and I think that's something that we, we haven't really seen so much of. And, and Michelle just, you know, listen, Michelle, her body of work is incredible. I mean, the movie she's done, the director she's worked with, the, the wide range of characters she's played, and, and to see her do this now, she's terrific in the movie. She's a badass, and like actually, there's some fight scenes, you know, where she gets down and dirty, like when she she meets the sort of alien tribe for the first time. Yeah, and Michelle embraced it. She loved it. She trained, and she did all the, you know, she really embraced the physicality of the role in in a fantastic way. Oh, amazing! And we should say um, we've got another new character in this, Bill Murray. Um, yes, joins. Um, what was it like, just you know, working with Bill Murray? Well, you know, listen, I I grew up with Bill's movies, and and love Bill Murray in the movies and I also love the idea that in this movie you know it's a small role but it's a pivotal one right he mm. basically he represents you know Janet's past down there and this and this this character this sort of shady character I love the idea of kind of these two alpha males Michael Douglas and Bill Murray you know uh, sort of facing off at that point in the movie in a way and I also I I like I like the idea of Bill Murray playing kind of a heel in this movie and and he embraced that but yeah it was really fun to work with Bill just like again, I was like, oh, "Pinch me!" I'm watching a film with Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Bill Murray all in the same scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it was great. And Evangeline talks about that, you know, because she's in those all the scenes with her, and she's just like, "There was one day we were shooting the restaurant, and I think it was Evangeline's birthday, and it was really like she sort of like pinched herself. I was like, this is what a what a birthday present this is for me, right? To be working with these 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 veteran actors who are really all Hollywood royalty." That's incredible. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Peyton, and thank you for the film. We're opening at Pitch House Cinemas tomorrow. I saw it with a huge crowd, and it was so nice to hear the laughter, you know, and the cheering, uh, especially towards the end, if you stay in the credits, listeners. Excellent, um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, look forward to seeing what you do next. Thanks so much. All right, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs>